Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio. The Saints beat the Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Really? But the result, in a way, was being felt on the opposite side of the country because the New York Jets are closely watching what happens with the Seahawks. Seattle's lost three in a row. They're now two and five. That means the Jets would have the fourth and eighth picks in the draft. Mike, you're Joe Douglas, and a lot can change. But what would you do with those picks at the moment? I would address both sides of the line. I would try to get a pass rusher, Kino's, Kayvon Thibodeau. He may not even be there at four, just given the fact there's no quarterbacks in this draft. And then they need corner, corner, and corner. And I think one of the big problems with the Jets right now is the premium positions like left tackle, pass rusher, and corner are the weakest positions on that team. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing them struggle. You're listening to Mike Tannenbaum, by the way, NFL, ESPN NFL front office insider here on Keyshawn J. Will and Max. He's been hanging out with us for the last hour. Well, my eardrum out real quick. (laughs) Well, it's not you. Uh Something's wrong with the machine. I'll have him take a look at it during our break, but because it keeps going up and down for no reason at all. Modulating. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, that, that spot four and eight, is interesting. If if it's a Thibodeau that's sitting there for, depending on what you feel about his pass rush techniques, because I don't believe that he's a guy right now. Obviously, he's not fully developed at that position, but doesn't use his hands all that well. I've watched him play in college as well as in high school. He's a dip and rip guy around the edge, a speed rush guy. There's no – he needs to bring some more uh, tools to the box. You know, he just hasn't – he has a one-move type deal, and he can grow over time in doing that. And at the eighth spot, there's plenty of corners in this year's draft that are outstanding that can play. You don't necessarily have to take a corner to high. You can move down, compile some other picks, and then go from there. Yeah, well, I mean, I like Becton got hurt, but I like the fact that they had the tackle, and then they got the guy who could play tackle but can play guard, and they got their quarterback, they thought, right? Now if they get a pass rusher and they get a corner, that's the way you're supposed to build the team, and now the guys actually have to stay healthy and perform. They also may just be snake bit. You know, like they just may have some bad luck with injuries. And they got to find, Mike, you know they've got to find a big-time wide receiver. I mean, I understand that they went out and got Corey Davis and free agent, but I need a, a, a one of these college guys in the second round that – that all of a sudden is a one, but for some reason he becomes a two. DK Metcalf, Michael Thomas. Find me one of those dudes that a young quarterback can grow gonna, with. Yeah, I was just going to say, Key, like if you think of it, like Evan just said too, but you go back a couple years ago, they, they have tried Corey Davis, Denzel Mibbs, Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore. So, like, they put a lot of resources. Shouldn't have never let Robbie Anderson get out the building being mm-hmm. cheap. Sometimes the worst evaluations are when you let – people walk out your door that can play. And Robbie Anderson's a really good example. Like he should never have walked out the door just like Joe Burrow should never have walked out of Ohio state, like, or Justin Fields leaves Georgia. Like you can't let certain players leave your program. And to me, Robbie Anderson's one of those. What does this do to the mental evolution of Zach Wilson being out? Like how much does it hinder him? I think it's a real positive for the next 10 years. I know for the next six weeks, it's going to be choppy. He needs to take a half a step back. I think what's been disappointing is I think Robert Soller's done a good job on defense. I don't think he's managed the game effectively, and here's what I mean by that. If you go back to the first Jet-Patriot game, Mac Jones was average. Any of the four of us could have played quarterback for the Patriots and won that game because Bill Belichick will often say that your opponent will lose the game before we ever have to win it. Mm. And when Zach Wilson threw four picks against New England, like that's not the way to develop a quarterback. Be balanced in offense – 
They're going to go up and down. We've seen Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields. They're all going to go up and down. But put him in the best position to be successful. And guys, Key, I don't know who we should give credit to, but the New York Jets have scored zero points in the first quarter this season. That That is shocking. Like, not to have a field goal through seven games. So something is not working with their game plan, their preparation. And I think to answer your question, Jay Will, I think over the long term, Zach Wilson getting a little bit of a break is a good thing. I, I think you should give credit to Mike LaFleur. That's the guy, the offensive coordinator. Give him credit to not scoring because wow. he's the one designing plays and doing those things. I look at, and I told Evan this the other day, I said, I, I don't know about the staff. Early observations, but I don't know. And, I, and people like Joe Douglas. I like Joe, too. I know Joe from his Philly days and and saw him a couple of training camps when he took over. I went to visit him at, at training camp. The, the problem that I have is what's the real plan? Well, you usually have a plan. If you're with me, Mike, we're going to have a plan to start with. We get in our room. We got a plan. Here's what we're doing. We're drafting this young kid. And we're going to have a veteran quarterback to teach this kid what it's all about. Now, all of a sudden, the kid is hurt. And you're going to go trade for Joe Flacco? Right. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. And, Key, you know what's interesting? And it's it's obviously a huge tragedy. But, like, Greg Knapp passing away. Understood. You know, in the summer. And not having a veteran quarterback. You're not putting – you have a young offensive coordinator who's never called plays. You got Zach Wilson who's just trying to figure out how to get to the facility, let alone learn a pro NFL playbook. Not to have a veteran on the staff, on the coaching staff, or in the locker room to me you know, is but showing even, up. But even with, even with the absence of Greg Knapp, as you know as a general manager in, in, in Max and Jay, when we leave that room, that offensive coordinator is going to staff meetings. Now I need my young quarterback to sit in with that veteran quarterback and go over everything on the board as an extension of the staff that's in the room down the street. And, and, and even more fundamentally, I remember talking to Chad Payton one day. It was so interesting. Chad was a great player, and he was also a pleaser by nature. And he was just talking about learning to play quarterback in New York City, like who to say no to, how to say no, ticket requests, media requests. And Zach Wilson needs somebody. I totally agree, Key, the wisdom of learning how to be an NFL quarterback in New York. I want to get back to the wide receiver point you made, too, because – the way I think about it, it's not precise like this, but when you draft and when you put an offensive line in place, that's part of the architecture of the team, right? Or, you, you know, like the way you build the team, you, you want your quarterback, your left tackle, your defensive end to go get the other quarterback, you know, to me. And then, and then some of the other skills position guys are more like the furniture in the room, right? Key, you'll talk about how you can get a wide out. You don't need to draft him in the first round. You can get a... But the more the, the, the vertical passing game or the passing game period is emphasized, and every year it's like emphasized more, the more I think having that number one wide out, that wide receiver, the number one guy, is really part of the architecture. When you can have, if you don't get your young quarterback there, you don't get him a guy like that, how do you really find out about him? Everybody in the National Football League that has had success, I'll, I'll point to two, two guys real quick. When Brandon Bean realized that Josh Allen wasn't getting – that they were getting the most out of him, what did they do? First Diggs. thing they did is they said, we're going to get Diggs. I don't care how much it costs. And we're going to pay him so he's happy. Wide receivers got to be happy with their money. Then, I, know, I know that. Then number two, here's a second team. The Arizona Cardinals, what did they do? They went out and got DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah. They was like, yeah, we got to get a guy. So 
And then what it, what happened with Russell Wilson? They went out and got DK Metcalf. Joe so Burrow, they gotta, drafted this guy. You got to have us for your quarterback to be successful. There's no question is about that, it. Is that part, is, have, has, has the wide receiver position become part of the architecture in terms of the blueprint of designing a team? Yeah, and look, and the Jets have, like, for three years now, thrown a lot of resources going back to Mims. Again, Elijah Moore, I think, like, the way Key described the DK Metcalfs of the world, like, a lot of people felt like Moore slipped. But he has the ability to be a one that hasn't worked out yet. And look, Corey Davis, the contract, we'll see if he can live up to that. But I think the Jets have actually tried to address that position. Uh, and certainly when you look at they've drafted offensive linemen in back-to-back years in the first round. Yeah, C- Corey Davis is a good player. But he's not he's a game-changer no. at the position. I'm talking about game changers, Jay. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's why I got confused when you guys made mention of you know Robbie Anderson and the Jets should have held on to him. I'm like, well, he's he's probably like the third option for but, the Panthers now, right? But, You're but just Jay, saying look, having optionality. But one thing I would say about him is he could go hit a home run. He could yes. make the one or two plays in the game, and, that, like a little bit like Hollywood Brown. Like Hollywood Brown, you may not hear anything, and then he makes the one or two boom. plays. Yeah. Like, like DK. So a piece, but not the piece. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like and that. not expensive. You're talking in the world in the world of non-spending general managers. He's a. Why are you pointing the mic? To <laughs> he's a talking about he's overpaid a, wide receiver. He's an eleven million dollar guy. That's not a You're lot of money. Talking about an elite yeah, guy. He means like an elite. Yeah, I guy. can I can spend eleven million on Robbie Anderson and go spend another eighteen on OBJ and be fine. But but you know what's interesting? Uh, Jay will just brought up like go to last night's game. This is fascinating. Geno Smith's first completion, yes. 84 yards. Yeah. His next 11 went for 83 combined. Mm. Yeah. Point being is DK, DK Metcalf, Metcalf. He can make the one play to change the whole game. Now, it didn't work out. They missed some field goals. Point being is Robbie Anderson can't leave the Jets because he may be quiet. There's things he doesn't do. Maybe not a great blocker. But he can make the one or two plays that could change the whole complexion of the game. Key, actually, one thing Key mentioned that I, that I want to just ask you and follow up on with both Key and Mike here real quick. Key, you had mentioned the other day that it was it's dumb for teams to script out their first like fifteen plays. Like that's an old philosophy and teams shouldn't do it. Yesterday, Michael LaFleur met with the media, was talking about Zach Wilson, and said they ran the first two plays of the game to ease Zach Wilson into the game. The problem was the Jets were already down seven nothing. So now he's facing third and eight down seven nothing in Foxborough. Is that part of the problem? That this team comes up with a game plan and just doesn't adjust early enough. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. No, I like I don't like hearing that because, you know, there's a great expression, which is oftentimes teams will lose games early before you actually have to go win it. And you can't win the game in the first quarter, but you can lose it. The Jets lost that game in the first quarter. You want to go to Foxborough and get into the fourth quarter and make it a one-score game. You can't win the game in the first quarter, but the Jets lost it in the first quarter. Well, that's the Jets. They get off the bus. They get off the bus down 14 points. Like, that's a cliche, but the Jets literally come off the bus. They're down 14. I get it. They do. But here's what I'm going to say about the script situation, Evan. I don't believe in the script, and here's why. Because two plays later, all of a sudden there's a false start. You're off the script. I once told a coach, (laughs) of course I did, that he should shove his script you know where because the script didn't work. Did I remember it like it was yesterday now that Evan brought it up. First play, we run the ball, stuffed. Second play, false start. We off the script. What's the point? If you could script the first 15 plays, just script. The, if that works, the, script the whole the, game in that case. I thought you were hey, talking about my Giants for a second. So yeah, right. Go ahead, Max. So, wait, you guys brought up Robbie Anderson. Let's talk about the Panthers for a second because a few weeks ago, 
everyone was looking at the Jets, and Key, you were leading this bandwagon. Yes. They made a mistake with Sam they Darnold. Did. Four weeks later, was it the Panthers that actually made the mistake with Sam Darnold? No, it's just, it's, it's not. Look, man, he got benched against the Giants. He didn't play well. For whatever reason, Metlaff Stadium went crazy. Against Dallas, even without Christian McCaffrey in the lineup, he played pretty well. In Dallas, without Christian McCaffrey in the lineup. Two rushing TDs, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like two rushing TDs. He played well. For whatever reason it is, the last couple games, he hasn't looked great. Now, will he ever get back to that? I don't know. The culture that he wanted to spark. He wanted to see if something could change. Maybe he realized that they were not going to win the game, and the best thing at that point in time is to try and see – if they can get a jump start from somebody else. I don't know if Sam can get back or not get back, raise the level to the point that you want key. But I do know this, and I'm not saying it pertains to Sam, but it is a very interesting conversation. We've all known guys that have been part of losing organizations yeah. for multiple years. Carry the mentality. It's hard to break that, Mike. It's hard right. to break that mentally. No, no, that, that's fair. And it's not going to be an overnight sort yes, of transformation. Agreed. But if we believe in Matt Rule and what he can do, what my bigger question is, why they exercise the option? Because when they traded for him, now they're locked in. When, when you exercise the fifth-year option now, they have guaranteed him $18 million. Regardless. Yes. Right, regardless. And if I'm a Carolina Panther, my question is, are we better off taking $18 million of Sam Darrell next year and putting that into Deshaun Watson? Or if we have Deshaun Watson, wouldn't we rather take that $18 million and go get pieces to help Deshaun Watson? So to me, what I didn't understand was why, after you make the trade, why do you make that decision so quickly on Darnold? To me, I would maybe let him play out. You could try to extend him later on. And if he's having success, he's not going to want to leave. And I felt like I didn't understand. I understand the trade, the risk reward of that. I didn't understand exercising the option. So let me ask you this, though, Mike. Can we sit back and say in our room, we're we're going to spend eighteen, and I think we have a chance to go get Aaron Rodgers or the chance to go get Deshaun Watson or somebody like that. That this eighteen million dollars is a, a backup position for us for a year because mm-hmm. that's basically what the top backups are getting. Yeah, they're getting that, the double figures. Hundred percent key, and, and that's what great organizations do. They're opportunistic, and if the cap's two hundred million dollars next year. Yeah. We're going to go spend 9% of our cap on a backup quarterback. Ideally, we'd like it to be 4%. Yeah. So we're going to be a little high for one yeah. year. And maybe someone comes along, like when it was Sam Bradford and Carson Wentz, Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt, Minnesota makes the trade with Philly. So absolutely. Mike Glennon got $18 million from Chicago. Uh, yeah. Well, the, not, yeah. The, I'm looking at it. But we're really you, Every team's trying to win the Super Bowl. So the, the matchups have been Brady. Not the Jets. Brady Mahomes, Mahomes <laughs> Jimmy G, Brady Goff. Foles Brady. So you have Mahomes and Brady, and then otherwise you have guys like the kind of caliber we're talking about, Darnold and this and that, Jimmy G and 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 Nick Foles and 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 uh, Jared Goff. But that really was a combination of Wentz and Foles got the last yeah, little but, four but, games. But, and, but the difference is if you want to win a Super Bowl with a guy like that, you're just hoping they catch fire late. When you have the premium guy, you're feeling good about your chances the but whole time. Max, here's the counter to that argument. If you just let's just start like in the AFC, all the teams making the playoffs right now have first round quarterbacks. Cincinnati, Vegas with Carr is the only exception. Tennessee, Tannehill's a one. Buffalo, Allen's a one. Baltimore is a one. Chargers a one. Cleveland's a one. And if you go to the NFC, you know very similar. Kyle Murray's a one. Bray's weird, you know. 
Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, but Darnold's a one, and and you know Jimmy G was a right, two. But, but, but I, my point is, like, barring an unforeseen circumstance, most of the teams making the playoffs have a first round sure. pick at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Oh no, first round. I'm talking about the difference between a great NFL quarterback and a good enough NFL quarterback, like we always say. And speaking of good enough NFL quarterbacks and first round picks, number one overall, um, another franchise has waited on the fifth year option with their quarterback. That's Baker Mayfield. Here's the latest on the Browns quarterback from head coach Kevin Stefanski. It's hard to say, Tony, how it's going to play out, but uh, I'm not in the prediction business. You know whether you want to go through Wednesday. With the guy. There's, a lot of, there's a lot of things I want, you know. Uh, no, I mean, That's uh, what I asked. yeah, yeah. I think we just got to work through all of it. It's uh, And the quarterback position really is no different than some of these other positions where Guys' availability might you might not know Wednesday, you might not know Friday. So, so of course, there's the wisdom of not playing Baker because if he's hurt, don't like it, let him get hurt worse. But would what gives you a better chance to win? Case Keenum at a hundred percent, or Baker Mayfield at something you know better than fifty percent, but he's not at a hundred percent. Case Keenum and look exactly in 2017. Pat Shermer was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings, and Kevin Stefanski was the quarterback coach. And Case Keenum had an unbelievable year. Mm-hmm. And this is a great example, guys. When you look at the Browns, like great lines on both sides of the ball. Miles Garrett maybe is the defense player of the year. He's a top five player. And Case Keenum, to me, is not as good as Mayfield. But, boy, I don't think the gap is that big at all. It's not big at all, 100%. Because if, if, if I took Baker Mayfield at less than 100% and he goes out there and he tweaks his shoulder. He took all the reps throughout the the week because he has to prepare. Now, he goes out there and he gets hurt in the first quarter or the second quarter or the third quarter. I don't want to do that. I'd rather just roll Case Keenum out there who's taking all the reps at 100%, who's healthy at 100%, and we do what we do. Now, the qualm becomes if Case Keenum starts rolling and he gets this thing going offensively against the Steelers and then Baker comes back, but Who you, are you rolling with? But you know he's already rolling. You want to know why? Because they got to win. Because he got a W. He got a W. Let, let me ask you guys this. If, if we guys, if we were in my office with my whiteboard key, and I said you could either have Case Keenum with Wyatt Teller and Denzel Ward or Baker Mayfield, all four of us would say, no, I'd rather have a great offensive lineman, a great shutdown corner, and a quarterback. That's why every time Case Keenum plays, he's taking more and more money out of Baker Mayfield's pocket because they are much better off keeping those two good young players Cleveland's done a great job. Andrew Berry is a young superstar in the front office. They've made one good decision after the next. They are not going to overpay Baker Mayfield, and Case Keenum's making that argument every time he goes out there. And the only time that you see, I have seen in my time of, of watching and being around football, is when a backup quarterback comes in and has success. The only time they go back to the starter is when the starter has big money in a long-term deal. Mm-hmm. It's the only time. I mean, we could point to it, whether it's Tom Brady, which is the famous one, obviously, and Drew Bledsoe. We could point to Nick Foles and Carson Wentz. Kurt Warner, who am I thinking of? Who took over for Kurt? No, not Kurt Warner, but he took over. No, no, who took over from Kurt Warner and won like like eight games in a row. That was the end of Kurt Warner. He's an MVP. It just happens that way. Trent Dilfer, Sean King. It it just, if you don't have a lot of money invested in, Kylan Kaepernick, Alex Smith, if you don't have a lot of money invested into that starting quarterback and that backup takes over, Mike, he usually rolls. Best if he's having play. if he best players play. If he's having a good year, he's rolling. Money will stop that though. If Baker mm-hmm. Mayfield was on a two hundred million dollar deal, he'd be like, 
Yeah, go on out there, man. I'll tell you what. How's that for a signing? You brought up the front office. $6 million a year. You got Case Keenum. May save your season. May wind up saving your season. And that's why I am standing on the table for the Pittsburgh Steelers or somebody else to sign Cam Newton. Cam Newton! To a two-year deal. Guys, there is nobody in the draft next year. Cam Newton, if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, Cam Newton gives them the best chance to win. Better than everybody in the draft. Yeah, yeah. If we're sitting here in September of 2022, by then I will be a senior front office insider upgrading from the Tahoe. (laughs) uh, What are you going to do from the Tahoe? Once what's, I become a next? senior front office, we'll go, go car as, 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 as long as Seth Markman is your boss, you'll be in the Tahoe. <laughs> Jeez. Shots at Seth. Anyway, I digress. My point being is, in September of 2022, the Steelers are going to need a starting quarterback. Cam Newton, by far, is the best person on the planet for that job. Get him in the building ASAP. I don't understand. When you look at all the options, you're going to have Aaron Rodgers, you're going to have Russell Wilson, the Deshaun Watson thing will put on an island – if I'm running a team and I am scouring for a starting NFL quarterback, to me, Cam Newton, by far of all the options out there, is the best option. Team-friendly deal probably, too, you imagine. Two-year deal. I want him in the program for this year and next year. Baker Mayfield is trying to end a long title drought. We're going to talk to someone who knows all about that. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit... Your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Mark Messier, Hockey Hall of Famer and ESPN hockey analyst. That was the call on MSG Network in 94 when the Rangers ended their 54-year championship drought. And the man that helped end the drought, the captain of the Rangers. And as I mentioned, now ESPN hockey analyst, the great Mark Messier, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. Good morning, Captain. What's up, Mark? Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Boy, this is this is what Mark Messier in New York City. Oh. Oh Mark, our, our, our good friend Barry Clarberg said you are great on the grill, my man. Is this true? Are you really are you really special <laughs> on the grill? Because I missed well, that cookout. Well, that we day. Miss, we, 
Yeah, we missed you that night, uh, but we had a good time. But not bad. I've, I've got a little experience on the grill. Mark, tell us about the book, No One Wins Alone. Yeah, you know, it uh, was an amazing uh, process, actually. Uh, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, to be honest with you. And everybody says it's hard to write a book, and I understand why now. Um, you know, I've been approached to write a book for many years, and and I uh, wasn't quite sure that I had anything to say that uh, someone might be interested in. But uh, um, I really thought that uh, it'd be interesting to do a book on on teamwork, leadership, uh, you know, my experiences through my uh, NHL career and obviously growing up um, led to all those amazing experiences I had as a pro. And hopefully somebody can actually uh, enjoy reading the book. Mark, at this point in your life, in your career, all the accomplishments, the things that you've been able to endure, the ups and the downs, you name it, why is this the right time to write this book? Well, I think for me, uh, you know, uh, retiring gave me an opportunity to really reflect back on my career. Uh, when you're in, as you know, uh, yourself, when you're playing, you, you don't really think about what's happening uh, in the past or in the future. You're so in the present uh, that you just, every day you wake up trying to figure out a way how to win each and every game and become a better player. Um and in retirement, for me, it gave me time to reflect. I was asked to speak about my experiences on certain occasions and started taking notes and gathering more information and thinking more about what had happened and transpired, uh, getting more information. And um, I just got read the, met Jimmy Roberts, who had written a book about breaking the slump in golf, which had a lot to do with, uh, uh, you know, psychology and sport. And um, I think for me, that was a real kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, gateway into writing a book is that I believe Jimmy could really understand what I was trying to say and write it in the way that I'd wanted him to write it. And I think that trust factor with Jimmy really kind of gave me the confidence to go ahead and, and take on this, uh, this endeavor, which it turned out to be, like I said, one of the hardest things I've ever done. Mark, I want to dig into the psychology of sports. We, you know, we know a lot of people that are same and, when I hear people talk about you, they say, when you talk, they listen. Now, you're the only player to captain two different franchises to the Stanley Cup, and you have leadership awards named after you. But where do you think the impetus for your leadership comes from? Well, I think, you know, I got a great insight into, uh, um, you know, team and teamwork and, and, and making people believe in themselves uh, through my dad uh, as, a, as a coach. Um, and coaching young players at an early age, winning a national championship in Canada when I was a stick boy, and seeing the way that he, you know, brought the team, galvanized the team together, the way he talked to the players, the way he helped the players really believe in themselves. Um, you know, for me, I understood that, you know, hockey, like in many team sports, uh, as the book says, no one, you can't win alone. Uh, you need everybody to be at their best. Uh, nothing other than their best will be good enough. And uh, how do you inspire players to uh, motivate themselves? I think what gets lost sometimes is uh, people, leaders, coaches feel and take it upon themselves to motivate players. And I believe that it's more important to inspire players. And if they're inspired uh, 
uh, and they believe in you as a coach or a leader, uh, they'll motivate themselves for the betterment of the team. Mm. And uh, that's what I've always really tried to focus in on is just trying to make everybody, each and every individual, you know, really understand how important they are to the team, no matter how big or small the role is. And, um, and, uh, you know, and, and I think because of that, you get, you know, you get the buy-in from the players and, and then you can, you know, you walk in on this journey together, you know, Abe Lincoln said, no man can govern another without his consent. And in order to lead anybody, you need to earn that trust and you need to earn the right to lead anybody. Mark Messier, ESPN hockey analyst, six time, get this six time Stanley cup champion. If only he was a King, an LA King, he might've had 10. <laughs> no, I, y'all might have had one wish, back then. Exactly, I wish he would have been an LA King, but that is for well, Wayne. Wayne got him close in one year in uh, 1993 before we won the '94 of the Rangers. He got him close and uh, couldn't quite get it over the hump. No, I know. What athletes today, though, Mark, impress you both on and off the field with their leadership skills? Oh well. <laughs> That's a great question. There's so many great players uh, in all sports right now. Um, I think it's, it's it's hard. It would be hard not to open that conversation with Tom Brady and what he's been able to do, uh, not only only in New England, but completely change the culture and the attitude when he went to Tampa Bay. And I think when you look at players, you know, and what Tom's done in his career, but you know, how can a singular player go into a franchise like he did? Obviously, he had the talent around him um, yeah, in Tampa and he had, you know, all the pieces that were required. But without Tom, they weren't quite there. Uh, maybe their expectations weren't there. Maybe they weren't thinking the right way about how to win. Uh, but when he went there, he changed all that. And there's no denying that he did. Uh, he was a big part of that whole championship. And you know, um, you know, his play, 44 years old, you know, off, off the field, on the field. Um, he, he's right up there with the, in the, in the iconic athlete to have uh, ever played a team sport. Mark, I got to ask, you know, I, Max and I grew up in a New Jersey, New York area. Key played here in the city. What is the feeling like when you win in New York? Well, for me coming to New York, uh, the first thing that I was really uh, happy about is, you know, playing in Edmonton for 12 years and the the attention that the Canadian teams get for hockey, obviously. When I came to New York, uh, there was a, I felt immediately the passion of the fan base and hockey actually mattered in New York City, which I was so happy about because I think one of the things that drive teams is the – uh, external pressure that's put on the teams because of the passion of fan base and the people around that care about what's going on. I think that was a huge part of us winning in New York and collectively with the fans and the team, we were able to, you know, walk together through five championships in seven years. When I got to New York, um, that passion was there. Um, you know, 54 years at the time, when I came 51 years without a championship. Um, and then, you know, you know, three years later, we're able to, to, you know, to, as they say, break the, <laughs> break the curse of, of whatever curse it was uh, uh, to win a Stanley Cup in New York. And when you do that, um, you know, original six team, 54-year uh, drought, uh, generations of fans uh, that had never seen a Stanley Cup 
hoisted on Madison Square Garden. Um, the feeling was incredible. Uh, something that it's hard to explain with words. Uh, you know, talking about it right now, you get filled up with the, with the emotion of those moments. And here we are, you know, almost 20 years later or more, I guess now, um, and still, you know, talking about it and still getting, uh, you know, thank yous on the streets of New York from many different types of people who were there, who witnessed it, who saw it, who got swallowed up in the, in the whole, uh, you know, environment of that cup run. So, you know, winning in New York on any team, I think brings in the same amount of, um, you know, emotion from, from the fan base and because of the history around this area and, and the difficulty in winning in this area because of the, the amount of media and attention that's put on any one of these teams. And, and of course, all the, the, you know, distractions that can come playing in New York City. So, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an incredible feeling to be able to, you know, climb any mountain for, on a team sport here in New York City. The great Mark Messier, ladies and gentlemen, obviously Hockey Hall of Famer, also ESPN hockey analyst. The book that he is discussing is No One Wins Alone. It's on sale today. Thank you, Mark Messier. Great to have you on the Goodyear Hotline. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate the help, guys. Thank you. Not at all. Hi, Mark. I I thought that really interesting because you can apply this to people in your own lives, a teacher you had, a coach you had, the difference between someone who just tries to motivate you and someone who inspires you to be the best version of yourself, that's really interesting to me. Mark Messier on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, presented by Progressive Insurance. All right, Mark knows all about championships. Two teams are just four wins away from a championship. That's next. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric E-Bikes today, the number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about Electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two, Electric wants to empower riders to spend more time exploring outside on their bikes, so they've made range a priority. Long-range batteries allow riders to hit typically around 65 miles of range or up to 150 miles on some models. Bonus. Electric has purposefully priced their bikes to be affordably awesome, so you don't have to break the bank to get these sweet rides. See why people who have made the switch to electric bikes have fallen in love with biking again by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C ebikes.com. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Keyshawn, J. Willemax, ESPN Radio, ESPN News, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Sean Casey, MLB Network's Sean Casey, joins us on the Goodyear Hotline. What's going on, Sean? Hey, what's up, fellas? How you guys doing? <laughs> doing what's good, man. Doing what's good, up, man? Doing good. The World Series starts tonight. It's on ESPN Radio. Coverage starts at 7 p.m. Eastern. MLB Network's live coverage from Houston's Minute Maid Park gets underway today at 3 p.m. Eastern. Plus, check out Sean's new podcast, The Mayor's Office. This week, he has former All-Star pitcher Jason Greeley on the show. So, um, how motivated, Sean, do you think the Astros are to prove that 
you know, they're not cheap. They can win a World Series fair and square. I think you feel that. You know, I, I think when you, when you see them, uh, even throughout the season, but coming into this uh, postseason, man, you, you can see that they want to win this thing to kind of be done with that whole cheating scandal. And, you know, they've been a really, really good team for these last five, six years. And uh, I think they want to prove that. And they are, they are proving that. I think they have, you know, when we talk about that, too, I think that's why Dusty Baker was hired. You know, when Bake came in, such a veteran presence for, presence for a lot of that storm that they had of a lot of those young kids and Bregman and Altuve and those guys. And, you know, Bake has done a great job, I think, of saying, let's go win this thing and just and be done with all this craziness that, you know, we cheated. And, you know, obviously it was a terrible scandal, but I think the Astros want to say we're legit. Yeah, yeah, Sean, you know, <clears throat> being a lifelong Dodger fan, I feel the pain and the suffering every single time I see an H on a hat. But <laughs> I'm I'm willing I'm willing to forgive for the betterment of watching Dusty Baker win the world championship. What will it mean for him and his legacy and his career if he finally gets one? Because there's only been two African-American managers in the history of baseball to ever win one. I feel your pain in the Dodger one because they were really – you guys You guys had a good reason to be upset. about you know, I think you guys are the, were the, one, you know, the people that had big reason to be upset. The Yankees. Sean, what about the Yankees? Max, let the man answer <laughs> yeah, the question. The Yankees man. had reason to – anyone they came across had reason to be upset. There's, there's no doubt about that. Listen – I love Dusty Baker, man. I've got to know him Bake over the years, played against him a lot. When I left the Reds, he came in to manage the Reds, and I, you know, I got a chance to coach there some spring trainings a little bit with him. This guy is a Hall of Famer. This guy is one of the best managers to ever play the game. Go look at his career. I mean, go back to his career. I mean, close to 20 years in the big leagues, a lot of, a lot of history with Hank Aaron. You know, Dusty Baker, um, for me, you know, for, for him to win this whole thing, it would mean a ton to Bake. And it would it would solidify his legacy for Cooperstown too. But it would for all the people that know Dusty Baker and how good of a guy he is and how much he loves the game of baseball. Everyone inside the in the game is pulling for pulling for Bake Sean to win K- this. Sean Casey, MLB Network analyst, three time All Star here on Keyshawn J Will and Max. Sean, let's go down to the ATL and give the South some love for a second. Uh, when you think about this team, lost their best player in Acuna. How did they yep. get here? How did how were they able to achieve this? You know, it, it, listen, man, this team is good, and they're really good. And, you know, we're talking about they got the reigning MVP from last year, Freddie Freeman, right in the middle of that lineup. When you lose a guy like Acuna, you know, in, in, in the middle of the season, early in the season, and, you know, he's one of the best players in the game, was having a monster year, MVP-type numbers. You know, I think this is where Alex Anthopoulos, you know, the GM, really, really did his best work. Because at the trade deadline, I think all of us in the baseball industry were like, man, the, you know, some of us were saying that the Braves should just punt, you know, and, and, and move on and, and uh, you know, build for next year, maybe trade a couple guys. He did the exact opposite. They went and got Rosario, Jock Peterson, Solaire, Adam Duvall from the Marlins, and they, like, reloaded. And all of a sudden, they took off. 
um, you know, and, 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 and all of a sudden went to another level and they started playing like the Braves that we had, everyone had picked them, you know, to win the East and, and here they were. So, you know, they started doing everything right. They started pitching well. They, the offense got hot and uh, that bullpen has been pretty much lights out. So, you know, talk about getting hot at the right time in a division that wasn't that strong this year. And now they're, now they're making the run that they're making and here they are in the World Series. It is time for the progressive MLB snapshot with MLB network analyst Sean Casey. Well, Sean could hit a bunch of doubles, never struck out. Uh, who wins the World Series, Sean? Hit on that. Astros or Braves? You know what? I think it's going to be a great World Series. I think hopefully it goes game to six and seven, but I really think the Astros are going to win that. I just... I look at that lineup top to bottom. They don't strike out. They put the ball in play. They're just a tough, a tough team to navigate. Their pitching's pretty good. Uh, losing McCullers isn't great, but I think the Astros win this World Series. That is Sean Casey, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate it, Sean. Thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks, Sean. All right, guys. All thanks right. for the time. See you guys yeah. soon. Appreciate it. MLB Snapshot is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. If your pet is hurt in a car accident, Progressive pays up to $1,000 in vet expenses with free pet coverage. Visit Progressive.com. Yeah, Sean Casey, I, I thought maybe he would like, he'd like the guys or the team that doesn't strike out a lot, puts the ball in play, right? That, he was that kind of player. That, by the way, not enough teams have those kind of guys nowadays. That's like, you know, that's, that, that's, teams blow hot and cold because it's all strikeout, walk, home, run. You got a couple guys who can put the ball in play. You're okay. Why are you waving your hand, Key? Because, man, we shouldn't have lost. <laughs> the Yankees got it worse Wait, than the Key, Dodgers Key that hasn't year. He really had a chance to kind of pontificate since the Dodgers have lost. You know, he, I yeah, thought he's should, talking he's about been, he's been the hitting. Astros, no? No, we shouldn't have lost, though. It's all good. This I, year, you mean? I want to see Dusty get one. So Yeah, he's transitioned. Yeah. Well done. That's called healing. I'm not, I'm not over it. Yankees were beating the brakes off no, in the Yankee that, Stadium. The, they were losing one-run games he, on the road. We're talking about the Dodgers. The Yankees are a more popular team than the Dodgers. The I have to bring in the it conversation to you. They're a bigger deal than the Dodgers. I need Advil, please. The World Series on ESPN Radio. Coverage starts Paul, at 7 p.m. Eastern. MLB coverage at 3 p.m. today. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. 